to Light Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. Uh, let's dive in here to a parable. Of course, those of you who've been here in 2013, you know we're in the middle of this series, a year-long series called Centered. It's a, a series centering on Jesus Christ, who is the center of our Christian faith. And uh, so we're looking at his life, his ministry, his teachings, his parables, his miracles. And we've been in this mini-series of parables for quite some time, these small stories with big ideas. And today we come to the end of them. And I don't know about for you, but this has been uh, an impacting group of, of stories for me. Um, these stories seem to have a way of messing with me uh, over the course of a week that, um, that few other stories can do. And uh, today we're going to be in Matthew 18, looking at the parable of the unforgiving servant. So I wish I had a nicer ending to these parables for you, uh, but this one is just as brutal as all the others, um, if not worse. This is a very, very difficult, not necessarily to understand, but it's difficult internally um, because it's something that we all deal with. And so and before we begin, I want to read you something um, that I came across this week, and this is written by Corey Ten Boom. Uh, those of you who know Corrie ten Boom, she's the author of the book The Hiding Place. Maybe you've seen the movie. She's a Dutch woman uh, who was arrested by the Nazis for hiding Jews. And she tells uh, her story, and it's very much connected to this parable in Matthew chapter 18. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, and keep your finger there, uh, that's where we'll be today. And I'm going to read this here from Corrie ten Boom. She says, It was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between, clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now, he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, again the hand came out, will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. So, woodenly, 
Mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this jeeling warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. You know, C.S. Lewis says that everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something they need to forgive. I think that's the way it goes with us. And this parable is difficult because these are not abstract concepts out there about other people somewhere far off. These are real issues in your lives. These are real evils that you all have suffered at the hands of another. Like Corey Ten Boom, some of you have people in your mind that when they pop into your mind, you're instantly taken back to unhappy places. You have flashbacks. And some of you have been abused physically or sexually. Um, some of you have been slandered publicly and maligned. Some of you have been financially taken advantage of or people have embezzled money from you. Whatever it is, I know that I'm not preaching to people who don't know the pains of having to forgive someone. I understand that. But Jesus is trying to get at these very difficult and deep issues in our hearts today. These tender issues in our hearts today. And he's going to use this parable to do it. But one thing we have to remember up front is why Jesus is doing that. And that is because of his vast and endless love for you and I. He is trying to get at these issues because he loves you more than you know because he cares about you, and because he wants you free. He wants you free from the prison of bitterness and hatred and resentment that unforgiveness will cause. You know, Lewis Smedes said to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that that prisoner was you. This is very true, and so we can even see the kindness of our God in commanding us to forgive. But that doesn't make it any easier, does it? You know, pop psychology and modern medicine is, is growing with this, this push for people to forgive for, for various reasons. You know, pop psychology says it's good for your overall mental health. You just need to forgive people. And, and modern medicine says we're, we're finding a lot of studies that correlate unforgiveness with lots of medical problems. So you need to forgive people. It's good for your overall health. And those things, I'm guessing, they're very true. And I would guess that they're true because our God is good and his plans have effects of goodness on our overall health, but those aren't the primary reasons that we forgive. I don't think those reasons provide the power. I don't think those reasons provide um, the, the, the accurate fuel, the grace, the ability that we need to forgive. But Jesus is going to provide that ability here in this parable. He's going to provide the reason, the motivation, and the power himself for you to forgive. So my prayer is that like Corey Ten Boom you would run to Jesus. You'd cry out, Jesus, help me today. And that today there we would all find grace together to forgive the greatest of evils that have ever been committed against us. So let's read the parable together in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this difficult word. We thank you that you have forgiven us an unthinkable and unpayable debt in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We pray now that by your Holy Spirit, Father, you would enable us to extend the mercy that you have shown us to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this parable gives us a a good look at four things that are necessary for all of us to understand concerning forgiveness. First of all, I want us to see God's standard for forgiveness. He's going to show you how many times you have to forgive. And then, and then God's going to show you a picture of perfect forgiveness, a picture of, of what God means when he says forgiveness, because there's a lot of misunderstanding in people's minds about forgiveness. Then you'll get to see what unforgiveness is, and you'll get to contrast the two and see which area do I fall more into. Am I more in, on the side of forgiveness, or am I, am I teetering more on the side of unforgiveness? And lastly, we're going to get to see in the tragic ending of this parable the motivation that Jesus Christ gives us, the reason and motivation he gives us for forgiving those who have wronged us. So here we go. Let's begin uh, in verse 21. God's standard for Christian forgiveness. Verse 21 says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And the context of this parable is that the disciples had just gotten done visiting with Jesus about um, the protocol, the process for handling an offense by a brother or sister. Okay, so Jesus has told them, this is how you do it when a brother or sister sins against you. Um, this is how you reconcile, basically. And then Peter get, comes to thinking, and he's like, hey, how many times am I supposed to do this, Jesus? And Peter thinks he's being generous by saying, I'll forgive him seven times. You know, that's the, number, the, the perfect number in the Hebrew culture. But certainly not eight, right? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. And what Jesus is not saying here is, you know, you count 66, 67, okay, a few more times, and then I'm not forgiving you anymore. 77 here is hyperbole. It's exaggeration for the point of saying, no, Peter, just don't keep track at all. My standard for forgiveness is you don't keep track at all. You forgive every time. Every time you forgive. And so... 77 is not some rule that you go home now and keep track of. 
But it is an exaggeration for the point of saying God's standard is we forgive every time. Now, on to verse 23, the parable itself and God's definition and picture of Christian forgiveness. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. The first thing I want you to notice here is a big theme in Matthew. Jesus is introducing this theme of the kingdom of heaven. And anytime you see him talking about the kingdom of heaven, and then a king is introduced, he's talking about God. So God is the perfect example of forgiveness here. And that tips us off to something about forgiveness, and that is that it's a supernatural grace. It's not something that human beings, fallen human beings, do normally, right? I mean, what's our normal response to evil or to suffering or to injustice or to when someone wrongs us? Our normal response is not, hey, I really want to go and forgive them. Our normal response is justice, um, vengeance. That's our normal response. I mean, think of what happened when, when uh, Pearl Harbor was bombed. You know? Our normal response is, we're going to bomb you back. <laughs> I'm not saying that justice is wrong. We need to have justice. It's what makes society peaceful. You know? But our normal human response is, let's, let's bring this to justice. Let's get vengeance. Let's get them back. So you need to realize that forgiveness is, is, a, is a thing in the kingdom of heaven. It originates with God. It doesn't originate with us. So we know we're going to have to run to God if we're going to forgive truly. It's going to be this supernatural thing. I think you see that in, in Corrie Ten Boom's story, that this was not something that she possessed just because she was this great lady. But she went to Jesus because this was not something she could do on her own. It, it, it has to be supernaturally infused into us. Now, let's keep going and see what else forgiveness is. So the king's going to settle accounts, and he says, as he, it says, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was bought, brought to him. This is an unthinkable um, unpayable debt. It's literally 10 to $12 million. Who knows how this guy got in debt that much? But he did. And Jesus is using this, this exaggerated sum to show that he has literally an unpayable debt. If the guy worked every single day and paid every dime of it back to the king, he could never repay the debt. It is an unpayable debt, insurmountable debt. So he's got this massive debt, 10,000 bags of gold. And then it says, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Which, you might say, hey, that's, you know, that's Bush League, man. That's, that's, really, that's really serious. How come he's doing that? Well, this was fair game back then. People were possessions. So you do whatever you need to do to recoup the debt, including selling the guy and his family and all his stuff. You could do that. That was perfectly legal, perfectly just way for the king to handle this debt. And um, he had every right to do it. And the servant knew it. He said, and so in verse 26, it says, At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. Now in verse 27, we see the other uh, three parts of what forgiveness is. It says, The servant's master took pity on him. It means he had compassion on him. So there is a part of forgiveness where you feel compassion, or you at least feel some level of being able to relate to the person that's, that's sinned against you. Now, you and I can relate to them um, in a way that God can't relate to them because God doesn't sin. We can relate to fellow people that sin against us because we say, yes, I understand the problem of sinfulness. I don't understand why you committed that sin against me, but I understand the problem of being a sinner, of needing grace because we all sin. And so this feeling is this feeling of compassion, this feeling of, 
I can relate, brother. I'm a sinner too. All right? And so that's something that, that is required for forgiveness. You, you feel compassion for the person. Your heart isn't totally hardened against them. If your heart is completely hard and you're bent on vengeance, you will never move towards forgiveness. Secondly, look at, he cancels debt. Forgiveness means to cancel debt. And I want to highlight here that um, most often we think of forgiveness as a feeling, that I'm going to somehow feel like I like the person again. Or, or, forgiveness has very little to do with your feelings. Rather, it is more about your will and your actions, which is another thing I like about Corey Tin Boom's testimony. It means you cancel debt. And now notice the size of this debt that the king cancels. It's massive. It's, it's insurmountable. It's unpayable. And so you need to understand that forgiving sin always costs something. It always has great cost to it. Um, and and this, think about it. This makes sense. If I come over to your house and I'm chasing around liver jada and I, I knock over a lamp and it smashes, then I will say, oh, hey, I'm really sorry. I broke your lamp. Let me pay for it. And you say, oh, no, Pastor Dave, don't worry about it. I'll get it. And what you're saying is, I will take cash out of my own pocket to pay for your mistake, to forgive you. It's going to cost you to forgive me. Tim Keller said it like this. He says, God's grace and forgiveness, while, the, while free to the recipient, are always costly for the giver. From the earliest parts of the Bible, it was understood that God could not forgive without sacrifice. No one who is seriously wrong can just forgive the perpetrator. See, that's why pop psychology, I don't, I don't think it holds a lot of weight. Just forgive them. Come on, just do it. He says, nobody can just forgive the perpetrator. He says, instead, when you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. All forgiveness, then, is costly. So think about this with me. If someone embezzles $100,000 from you and you decide you're going to forgive them, that means you are going to pay the debt internally. You're going to cancel it on your own books. You're going to pay it out of your own account. Um, Likewise, if somebody... um, uh, uh, slanders your name okay, publicly, um, you're going to pay for that somehow. Some people might not get involved with you. Some people might think ill of you. So there's going to be an internal payment. If you're going to forgive them, you're going to have to pay something. There's going to be a cost to you. If, if, somebody, um, you know, if somebody abandons you or, or if somebody um, is unfaithful to you, there's going to be a lot of emotional cost to you for forgiving. To not bringing that up, to not speaking about it. You're going to deal with that internally. And that's what he wants us to see here is that there's a great cost to forgiving people. It's extremely costly to the one who's forgiving. And the king does that here. He completely owns the debt. He stares it right in the face. Twelve million bucks. Man, it's a lot of money. He's thinking. And he looks it right in the face. So, so contrary to popular belief, forgiveness is not you know, sidestepping the sin. It's not minimizing it. It's not excusing it. It's not kind of you know, psychologizing it. Well, maybe they didn't really mean to. No, it's looking what happened right in the face, looking at it. This is what was done to me. And then owning it and writing it off on your own books. That's what it is. It's actually the exact opposite of excusing it. It's, it's staring it in the face and acknowledging exactly what happened to you and then saying, I'm going to forgive that. The Greek word here may help us a little bit. It's the word aphime, which literally means to send away. You know, you cancel that. You send 
something away. So you deal with it internally and you say, I'm not going to bring that back to the other person again. That's a debt they're not going to hear about again. Sure, I may think about it. Sure, I may still feel it deeply inside of me, but I'm going to choose to send it away. In this sense, uh, forgiveness may have much more to do with what you're doing with your mouth than anything else. Are you still talking about it? Are you still you know, bringing it up all the time? Are you getting historical with people that have, forget, that, that have sinned against you? And we tend to do that, don't we? We get historical, especially in marriage. I mean, I've realized this in marriage. I have a terrible tendency to do this. Um, you know, I like to win arguments. How many of you like to win the argument? In that sense, I, I sometimes feel like I should have been a lawyer because I just love it. And I love to build my case and, and, and present it to the, to the judge and, and, and see who wins. And, and sometimes you've got to pull out the card of the thing that you did last time, you know? And, and that could make your case stronger. Let's all admit it. And, you know, we'll hear about that in a little bit. But this is sending it away, not talking about it, um, not slandering the person behind their back, and not bringing it up to them. You're canceling debt. That's what it means to forgive. It's much more about your will and your actions than it is about feeling. Now, the, the final thing here is he lets the guy go. Forgiveness, like Smead says, is the release of a prisoner. You're releasing someone from a prison. Um, you give power back to the person that has committed the offense. Do you understand that? When someone offends you, commits a, a crime against you, it puts them in your death. Okay? And I, I saw this most um, sharply when I was doing marriage and family therapy um, training at the seminary because I visited with a lot of couples who had been through an affair. And so what happened was um, the affair would inevitably make a, a big power differential in the marriage um, because an affair is a terrible thing to have happen to you. It's an awful thing to try to forgive. Um, and so what happens is the, the person who has committed the affair is always in a one-down position. And it's very hard to be married to someone when, when you're not equal in power, right? And so forgiveness is the saying, I'm going to give the power back to you. I'm not going to be your, your jailer anymore. You're not going to be my prisoner anymore. We're going to be equal in power. I'm going to throw that trump card away. You know? The person in the marriage who was faithful always had a trump card. They could win any argument because they had been faithful and the other person had not, and rightly so. But forgiveness is saying the trump card is in the garbage. It's not coming out anymore. It's going to be on a level plane. We're going, to, we're going to do this fair. It's very, very difficult to forgive. It means you let a prisoner go. Now, a picture of unforgiveness. This is unfortunately where I often see myself. Now, notice verse 28. The servant gets done receiving this incredible mercy from this king. He forgives an unthinkable, unpayable debt. And then what does he do? He's just like one of us, Right? He runs out. <laughs> the first thing he does is he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, about 20 bucks. <laughs> and he chokes him. And says, pay back. I mean, I just think it's comical, the, the, the idea that Jesus uses here. is like, this guy just gets forgiven all this money, all this debt, and literally gets his life back and his family's life back. He was going to be sold into slavery. He could have to kiss his family goodbye forever. And he goes out and chokes a guy for 20 bucks. I mean, the, the picture of ungratefulness here, 
the picture of, obviously the guy didn't think anything of the king's mercy. He just thought, hey, I got lucky today. It was a good break for me. He didn't even think about the king's mercy, and, and he didn't show any gratefulness for it. But notice the anger. Anger is often a good indicator of unforgiveness. He chokes the guy. He doesn't come up to him and say, hey, bro, remember that 20 bucks you owed me? He chokes him. He's angry. If you're still bubbling over with anger, if your blood pressure rises when you see a person, it's a good indicator to you. You probably got some forgiveness work to do. It's a good indicator. It doesn't always tell you because sometimes anger is just a, a secondary emotion right behind hurt, and you can be hurt by someone for a long time. So maybe it makes you a bit angry, and then you, you pray, and you, again, Jesus, help me, and you send it away. But if you're still getting really angry like this guy, you've got to watch out. You might be living in unforgiveness. Notice, secondly, anger never for, or unforgiveness never forgets a wrong no matter how small. Like I said, this is 20 bucks. It's a paltry little debt compared to the debt that he was forgiven, this massive sum of money. And it says, nope, not forgetting that one. It's like intense remembering. Think of unforgiveness that way. It's like, it's like instead of sending away debts, it's like, it's like re- religious bookkeeping. You know, you're just, everybody's got an account, and everybody's got a ledger, and you're keeping the balances, and everybody that owes you, even the, the smallest amount, they've got to pay it back. That's what unforgiveness is. It's just, it's just keeping this tedious um, standard, this tedious rule, this, this diligent bookkeeping. Third, look at what he does. It makes a prisoner of the other. Unforgiveness, which is, the, of course, the opposite of forgiveness, makes a prisoner. So you say, you are going to be in my debt. I will have power over you. I will hold the keys to your cell. If that's you today, maybe you're thinking, yeah, I'm still a prisoner for something I did years ago because this person will not forgive me. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I know that I hold the keys to some cells. I know that I've locked some people up and I need to forgive them. I need to release them and let them go. Maybe these people are in your life still or maybe they're not. Maybe they don't even know they're your prisoner, but they're a prisoner in your head. Unforgiveness makes the other a prisoner. Fourth and finally, you feel responsible for bringing about justice and in fact you insist on it. Now there's nothing really too terrible about the guy insisting that the man pay him his 20 bucks. Okay? Because he could do this. He could have had the guy sit in prison until he paid back his 20 bucks. Once again, that was legal for him to do that. But it's so wrong in the context of the story because of the mercy that he's just received. Do you see that? Here's what's, here's what's so wrong about it. I mean, basically, this unforgiving servant slaps the king in the face and says, your mercy is foolishness. It's foolishness. In, 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 in insisting on his own standard of justice, he's saying, my standard of justice is higher than God's standard of justice. My standard of what people have to live up to is higher than God's standard of what people have to live up to. And, of course, his unforgiveness leads to an unfortunate and tragic ending. And here, in this part, we find the reason and the motivation that we forgive. You know, the the fellow servants see what's happened. They run and they tell the master. And of course, it says he calls in the servant, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. 
This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And we have to understand this part. This is very, very, very serious. I think you can understand the weight of it um, here. What God does here is he simply holds this unforgiving servant to his own standard. Do you see that? He simply holds him to the same standard. And, And there are two standards that you can choose to live by. Either you choose to live by God's standard or your own standard. Yeah. Cindy? Oh, okay. Okay. Either you choose to live by your own standard or you choose to live by God's standard. God's standard, he said, is mercy. And of course, he's shown us all that in Jesus Christ. But this guy says, my standard is higher. My standard for justice is higher than God's standard, so I'm going to demand justice. And God says, fine, have it your way. C.S. Lewis said one time that there are two kinds of people in the world. Those to whom say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, fine, have it your way. And that's what's going on here. God is saying, you didn't want to do the mercy thing? Let's do the justice thing. I can do that too. Because God is indeed merciful, but he is likewise just. If you want mercy from God, then you better be merciful. If you want mercy from God, then you need to live by his plan with everyone else around you. That's what he's saying here. If you want want mercy from God, then you need to accept his standard for everyone else and say, your standard is right, God, and you've given me mercy in Jesus Christ, and so now I, I am compelled and I am underneath that standard to show that to everyone else around me when they harm me. That's your first option. You need to think carefully through this decision. You have two choices here. You have only two choices. If you're going to live by God's standard for justice, then it's mercy. You receive it in Jesus Christ. You get mercy from God, and then you must give it to everyone else. Or you can choose your own standard and say, we're going to do justice. Everyone's going to pay me back what they owe me. Everyone's going to pay to the last nickel. And then God will say, okay, we can do the justice thing. Now you get justice from me as well. And that's what's happened here. That's what's happened in this parable. The choice to forgive, friends, is up to you. But I would urge you to think very carefully about your choice. Which standard of justice will you live by? Will it be God's standard, which is mercy, expressed in Jesus Christ? Or will it be your own standard? And then God will call you to justice as well. The reason... And the motivation for Christian forgiveness is also here. And it's simple, but sometimes difficult, of course. C.S. Lewis said it's plain. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So that means we don't say, oh, the sin wasn't that bad, or, or they probably didn't mean to do it, or, well, you know, I read this quote by Oprah who said, um, forgiveness is when you can say to the person, Thank you for that experience. That's baloney. Thank you for raping me. You know? That's garbage. That's not what forgiveness is. It's to say, that was unexcusable. But I forgive you because God in Christ forgave the inexcusable in me. That's what forgiveness is. It's recognizing how inexcusable it is, but also at the same time, recognizing how inexcusable your stuff is to God. And that's the power, that's the grace, that's the motivation that you forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says the same thing. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, because it's the nice thing to do. 
No, that's not what the Apostle Paul says. Because it's good for social concern. It's good for society. It makes a better, a better social group. No, he says, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. That is why you forgive. That is the power. That is the grace. That is the motivation with which you forgive. You don't forgive because it's good for your physical health, though it might be. You don't forgive because it's good for your psychological health, though it might be. You don't forgive even because it reduces the hatred in you. You forgive because God in Christ forgave you and because you're saying, God, your ways are higher than my ways. And I'm submitting to your ways. I want mercy from you, God. So we're going to do things your way. And in wanting mercy from you, I'm going to show it to everyone else around me who's wronged me. Do you understand that? When you say, I'm going to live in forgiveness, you're saying we're going to live by the rules of the kingdom of heaven, the king of the kingdom of heaven. And his standard of justice is mercy expressed in Jesus Christ. And if you're going to live that way, receive that from him, you have to show that. If you're going to decide not to live by the standards of the king of kingdom of heaven, you can live by your own standards. But then expect him. You know, you read about Jesus' teachings where he says, careful how you judge people, because that's the standard with which you'll be judged. Careful how you measure people, because that will be measured back to you. That's what God is saying here to all of us. Friends, nothing will give you power and grace to forgive like continually living in and looking into the gospel, what you have been forgiven. See, this unforgiving servant totally missed the mercy and the, and the love and the grace that had been shown him. He thought, I just got lucky today. Just a good break for me. So clearly, the, the, the mercy of the king never hit his heart. And therefore, he didn't feel compelled at all to show it to those around. The more you look into the gospel, your unpayable debt that has been forgiven, the more you'll be compelled. You'll, you'll joyfully forgive those around you. And this is an exercise that I find myself doing. I'll be remembered if somebody that's wronged me or I'll be, I'll be, if something will come to my mind if somebody that owes me. And then I'll oh, I start to feel that thing come back. You know what I'm talking about. You start to feel those things come back inside you. The knots begin to build in your stomach. Your blood pressure begins to rise. And then immediately the Holy Spirit comes in and he says, wait a minute. This guy might owe you a debt, but you owe an unpayable debt to God that was forgiven in Jesus Christ. And immediately, it's like something washes over me, and I'm like, oh, praise God, yes, I want my debt forgiven. You know? This person wronged you, though, Dave. Yes, but look, what you, look how you wronged Jesus Christ. Look how you hated God. You're an enemy of God. And look all he forgave you in the work of Jesus on the cross. Yes, I want, I want God to forgive my wrongs when I stand before him. So yes, God, I'll forgive those who have wronged me. Friends, anyone that truly realizes the unpayable, unthinkable debt they've been forgiven in Jesus Christ will move towards forgiveness. So how are you doing with this? Has the gospel reached your heart in a way that affects how you respond to those people who have wronged you? Is it changing you? Are you like the unforgiving servant? You say, well, thanks, Jesus, but whatever. I'm going to do my own standard. I'm going to, I'm going to carry out things my own way. Who are those people that you still cannot stand to think about? I'm not saying to dwell on people that have hurt you. But who are those people when they come to your mind, you just, you just cannot bear it? Who are those people that you cannot wish them well in life? C.S. Lewis says you've known, you've forgiven someone when you can say, with truthfulness in your heart, I wish them well. Doesn't mean you have to go be best friends with them. 
You don't have to get married to your ex-spouse again. It doesn't mean you have to go have coffee with them twice a week. In fact, I wouldn't recommend that for some of you. I really wouldn't. Um, sometimes you just love them at a distance. <laughs> but you say, I, I honestly can wish them well. I don't wish ill upon them. When you can do that, you know the Holy Spirit's done a work in your heart and you've forgiven, you've released the prisoner. God commands us, if we're going to receive his mercy, that we would now extend it to other people. He understands that this is going to be painful. For some of you, you have the most painful work of your life to do. Did you notice that Corey Ten Boom said, I, I had to do the most difficult thing I had ever had to do? You think, surely she's exaggerating. She lived in a concentration camp. Surely that was more difficult than forgiving this guard living there. She says, no, this was the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For some of you, this is the most difficult work you will ever have to do. But remember, in the pain of it, the pain that God went through to see to it that you could have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Also remember, this is a supernatural thing. My prayer for you today is this, that you, that you would take those, those horrible things, those egregious evils that have happened to you, and you would bring them and say, help me, Jesus. Help me, Holy Spirit, with this. I cannot do it. I'm going to make a choice of my will. I'm going to put my hand out there. You supply the feeling. You do the rest that I cannot do. And friends, I believe that God's supernatural grace will be there when you submit your will to being obedient to him, to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've blotted out our transgressions, that you've removed them as far as the east is from the west. We have difficulty, Lord, when we're wronged because we want justice. We want... um, people to feel the same pain that we felt at their hands. But Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who has forgiven everything that we've ever done so that we can spend eternity with you, so that we can have new life and new hope in you. We love you today, Lord Jesus, and we trust you. It's in your good name we pray. Amen.